Continuing the series, it's Acts chapter 10. And reading the whole chapter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the Centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. 
I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, but they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Well, uh, it's great uh, if you're visiting here with us this morning to, to have you. Uh, as uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, uh, well, we've, we launched back into the back of book of Acts last Sunday, uh, and we're making our way through a bit more of it over the next uh, few weeks. So it's good uh, to have you with us as we do that this morning. Uh, let's pray as we uh, come to think about God's word. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you have spoken to us uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and through his apostles and prophets. And Lord, as we uh, read, have read some of those words just now, and as we think on them and reflect on them, we ask that you would open our hearts to uh, receive the message of the gospel uh, and to put our trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us joy uh, in knowing him uh, and knowing that we can know him. Uh, we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, some things are uh, baffling, aren't they? Uh, you might remember if you were here a few years ago, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Peter Adam, came and spoke at this church and he talked about confusing signs and he talked about uh, the old baby change table sign, you know? Uh, what is it that you change? <laughs> you take the, the child in there and you change babies for another baby. Uh, there, there are amusing signs, aren't there, that, uh, that baffle and confuse. I was in Woolworths uh, just over here the other day, uh, it's, and it's caused me considerable amusement over the last few days. There was a sign there that said, family underwear. And I thought, <laughs> oh, that's not good. Uh, that's, that's not good in any sense. Uh, but I don't know what that is, in, I don't even know what that is intended to mean. Uh, <laughs> why they just can't say underwear. Uh, why they have to say family underwear. Well, some things are baffling, aren't they? Uh, some things are confusing uh, and, uh, and we don't quite get them. And I think if you know a little bit about Christianity, uh, there's one thing I think which on the surface of things seems a little bit baffling, seems a little bit strange. What seems odd is that the first two-thirds of the Bible is about a nation, it's about the people of Israel. 
But most of us here are not Jewish. And most of us here have never uh, even gone to Israel, let alone sort of been citizens of that, of that nation. Put up your hand uh, if anyone here knows that they have Jewish ancestry. Does anyone know that they have Jewish ancestry? A few people, but not many. So if so much of the Bible, two-thirds of the Bible at the very least, is about the Jewish people, and almost none of us are Jewish, then the question becomes, is the Bible for us? And then, is the gospel for us? Is the good news about what God has done in that one Jewish man, Jesus Christ, is that really for you and me? Is that good news for us as well? And if it is good news for you and I, then how do we know that? How can we be sure that it's for us? And that we're not mistaken. How do we know that's true? Well, that might seem like an odd question, but it's actually a very, very important question. The question was extremely important in the days of the early church. Dave's already alluded to that. And it's the issue that is taken up here in Acts chapter 10. That the issue is so central that it's so crucial can be seen by the fact that this story is pretty long, it takes up a a fair bit of space in the book of Acts, and not only is it long, it's retold straight away in the next chapter. If you go home and read Acts chapter 11, they basically retell the story all over again. And then the story comes up again in kind of a condensed form in Acts chapter 15. This is an important event in the life of the church, in the history of the church, in the history of the people of God. So how does Acts chapter 10 then answer that question of whether the gospel is for you and for me? Well, Acts chapter 10 is first of all about two people. It's about Cornelius and Peter. Peter is a Jewish man who became a Christian and a ministry ministry leader in the church. Uh, He became a Christian through the ministry of Jesus himself. He was appointed by Jesus himself to be a church leader. And Cornelius is a Gentile, which is another name for someone who wasn't a Jew. He was, he was, uh, he was a Roman uh, man. We're told that he was a soldier. He was a centurion, uh, a fairly high-ranking soldier. Uh, he was also a man of God. He loved the God of the Bible. We're told in verse 2 that he was a devout and God-fearing man, that he gave to the poor and prayed to God regularly. Later on in uh, the chapter in verse 22, his servants describe him to Peter as a righteous and God-fearing man. He was respected by all the Jewish people. Cornelius didn't believe in any god. He wasn't kind of a Roman man. He had all the Roman gods and then uh, the God of the Bible. No, Cornelius believed and uh, trusted the God of the Bible. He loved and trusted God. He loved and trusted the God who had been Uh, made known by the Jewish people and who was known by the Jewish people. And when God appears to Cornelius uh, in verse 4 through an angel, he's told that he is accepted by God. So the angel comes to Cornelius and he says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. That is, Cornelius's prayers and offerings have, have captured the deep significance of all those Old Testament sacrifices that God had given the Jewish people. Cornelius had kind of got to the heart of what they were about. Cornelius, in other words, was a non-Jewish believer. He was in the mould of those Old Testament people like Ruth the Moabite, who had, who had come to know God, uh, or like Naaman the Syrian, who'd uh, given his allegiance to God, or like the sailors in the boat with Jonah. They, they'd been 
overcome by the, the truth about God. You see, I think it's easy for us to get a distorted picture of the Old Testament, a distorted picture of the Old Testament in which the only people who are saved, the only people who are mattered, are the people of Israel, the Jewish nation. It's true that the people uh, of Israel were special. We'll, we'll come to that a little bit later on. But God's plan was always to bless the nations. His plan was always to bless, bless all kinds of people, not just uh, the Jews. God made every person and God loves all people and desires them to be saved. So it's not that salvation was for the Jews in the Old Testament and now it's for other people as well. It's always been for others so long as they knew and they loved and they trusted the God of the Bible. That's really important for us to understand, I think, because it speaks to the character of God. What kind of God is God? He is a God who loves all kinds of people. His love isn't restricted to one tribe or race or nation or social group. God is not only the God of the Jews. He's not only the God of Westerners. He's not only the God of the middle class or the upper class or the poor. He's not only the God of men and not women. He's not only the God of adults, but he welcomes little children. He's not only the God of the physically and mentally able, he's the God of the crippled and the deaf, the blind, the simple, as well as the God of the wise and, and the God of the Olympically gifted. But how easy it is, I think, for us to forget that God is the God of all kinds of people and so dishonour God. How easy it is to forget that God is the God of all kinds of people and so dishonour that uh, dishonour the people that God has made and loves. Some people in Peter's day had forgotten that and it seems that Peter himself had forgotten that. He says, he later acknowledges Peter in, in verse 34, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God hadn't forgotten who he accepted and who he hadn't and who he didn't, but Peter forgot. And in the same way, I think we can be prone to forget. The church has a shameful history, doesn't it, of forgetting uh, who it is that God accepts. God, we forget God's love for all kinds of people. God's love for all kinds of people was forgotten during uh, the period of black slavery in, in America. Uh, God's love for all kinds of people was forgotten during the period of apartheid in South Africa. And in many ways, God's love uh, for uh, all kinds of people has been forgotten in Australia too, in the way that uh, many of the Aboriginal people have been treated uh, over the centuries. But here God reminds us that he accepts people from every tribe and language and nation. God calls people out. He called Cornelius out of pagan Rome to faith in Jesus Christ. He calls people out of atheist Russia and China to faith in Jesus Christ. He calls people out of uh, Islamic Iran. And he even calls people out of secular Australia to faith in Jesus Christ. So we meet in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the God-fearing Gentile. And God instructs Cornelius to send for Peter. 
But in the meantime, God has to, he's, he's sort of prepared, if you like, Cornelius. Now he has to prepare Peter. And in fact, God has to do a lot more work in preparing Peter, the Christian minister, than he has to do in preparing Cornelius, uh, the Gentile God-fearer. In verse 9, the uh, story switches over to, to Peter, and we find Peter in about the middle of the day, he's up on the roof and praying, and he falls into a trance in which he sees uh, this strange vision. He sees a large sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. And on this sheet are all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles and birds. And he hears a voice saying to him, get up, kill and eat. Now, Peter's horrified by this. He's horrified because the animals evidently on that sheet are unclean animals. Uh, in the Old Testament... God commanded the people of Israel to consider some animals as clean and other animals as unclean. So uh, pigs were unclean, uh, but lambs were clean. Uh, some birds were unclean, but others were clean. And God is now commanding Peter to eat those things which previously were in this unclean category. It might seem uh, a little bit baffling to us that God called people to kind of separate their food like that, to separate animals out into different categories. But the reason was that the people of Israel were in a sense called by God to symbolise in their daily lives the, the hope of the gospel. Uh, it's a bit like today when, you know, the Sydney, the Sydney Test match, the, the cricket match on the third day is... Uh, the pink day, right? And everybody goes to the cricket. Well, not everybody, but almost everybody goes to the cricket wearing a pink shirt or a pink hat or whatever it is. Nobody thinks, uh, you know, that wearing a pink T-shirt is the cure for breast cancer. We, we get the symbolism, right? We, we get that wearing the pink T-shirt is just a symbol of support, uh, for breast cancer, just like sometimes when people protest uh, against free for, for free speech or something, they they put tape over their mouths. Right? We get the symbolism. We get what they're trying to say. We get that they can actually still speak, uh, but they're just trying to make a point. And it was the same uh, with the Old Testament sacrifices. They were uh, and rituals. They were a symbol. They weren't the real thing. It was a symbol, it was a God-given symbol of the uncleanness caused by the, sim the sinfulness that lives within us. The sinfulness which defiles us uh, by causing us to do things which dishonour us and dishonour others and, and most of all which dishonours God. It was a symbol of the uncleanness that God intended to save people from through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now God comes to Peter and he says in this vision, basically, you don't need to worry about that symbolism anymore. You don't need to do that. God shows Peter not only through this vision of the, the, the animals on the sheet, but also through pouring out the Holy Spirit on these Gentile people. God shows that those old regulations don't matter anymore because the thing that they were pointing to, Jesus Christ and the Spirit, has, has come. Using exactly the same language, Peter explains in a few chapters' time, in Acts chapter 15, that God has cleansed the heart of Jews and Gentiles alike through the work of the Holy Spirit. The thing that those, what those things were pointing to is, has now become a reality. 
So now that that real thing, the genuine article, now that that has come, to hang on to those Old Testament symbols is like turning up to the cricket with a pink t-shirt on once breast cancer has been eradicated. What's the point? It might be a little bit retro, but it's just stupid. There's no point. To hang on to those symbols once the reality has come is to miss uh, what God has done. So what does that all have to do, though, with Cornelius? Well, Cornelius would have been unclean because he would have, as a Gentile, would have eaten some of these animals uh, that the Jews were to avoid. And that would have made difficult... Uh, would have made the contact between Peter and Cornelius difficult. Peter says to Cornelius, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. There was this God-ordained distinction between the Jewish people and everyone else. God always welcomed anyone to turn to him and to serve him and to love him. But the Jewish people were called by God to foreshadow the promises of the gospel. The clean, unclean laws was God's pink t-shirt proclaiming the gospel and now that Jesus has come, neither the Jews nor the Gentiles need to wear that shirt anymore. They don't need to put it on. They don't need to do that stuff. That is, the Gentiles don't need to become Jews in order to know God. You and I don't have to take up the symbols of the Old Testament in order to relate to God. And even the Jewish people to whom God had given those symbols specifically Even the Jewish people don't need to take up those Old Testament rituals in order to be faithful to God. Why don't we slaughter bulls and goats and lambs uh, anymore as sacrifices? Why don't don't we have an altar out the front here where where every week we, we slay a few lambs for the forgiveness of sins? Why don't we have a temple? Why don't we visit the temple every year in Jerusalem? Why don't we follow the dietary regulations of the Old Testament? Why don't we avoid pork? Why don't we demolish houses if we find mould in them? Why don't uh, we wash ourselves with water mixed with the ashes of a red heifer when we've touched a dead body? Why don't we have incense in church? You might ask that question anyway. Why don't we have incense and candles? Why don't we have an Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments sitting inside? Why don't we have priests who bridge the gap between us and God? Why don't we live in tents for one week of the year to remember the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel? We don't do them because they've been fulfilled in Jesus. And everything that that they foreshadowed has found its reality in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the new temple, the new place where we meet with God. Jesus cleanses us from the danger and the defilement of death and sin. Jesus is our great high priest. We don't live in tents because our houses and our buildings already are tents, temporary dwellings, which will be done away when the new creation established in Jesus Christ comes. And of course, while there's lots of things from the Old Testament that we don't do, there are still many things that we do continue to do. We still hold to the moral teachings of the Old Testament. We still think that adultery is wrong. We still think that that stealing is wrong uh, and murder is wrong. But those things too have 
reached their fulfillment in Jesus. That is, Jesus brings the reality of those things to bear in our lives. He saves us from adultery. He saves us from covetousness. He saves us from stealing. He brings the forgiveness for those things for people who've fallen into them, and he also removes the desires for those things and gives us a new heart through the Holy Spirit. He cleanses our heart by faith, Peter says. Gentiles don't need to become Jews in order to know God. And Jews themselves no longer need to live according to the Old Testament rituals in order to be faithful to God. And all the careful orchestration of this chapter, Cornelius' vision and Peter's kind of subsequent vision, all those things, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, all go to show and experience the truth that Jesus and the apostles taught, uh, that those Old Testament things have passed away. So there were always Gentile believers, uh, even in the Old Testament, because it was God's plan to bless the nations. But we've seen that God had ordained this distinction between the people of Israel and the nations so that the people of Israel could foreshadow the gospel, uh, to foreshadow God's plan to bless the world through Jesus Christ. But there's still a problem for Cornelius. The problem for Cornelius was that he was what you might call an Old Testament believer. He had heard God's promises about the Messiah, but he hadn't heard that Jesus had come. So Cornelius lived at a unique time in history. He lived in a time where Old Testament faith had to be kind of upgraded uh, to faith in Jesus Christ. God had been promising to do something and now he'd done it and people needed to recognise that and to own that, to acknowledge that and to trust in that. In a sense, like many Jews who loved and trusted God, Cornelius needed to hear that full message of the gospel. He needed to hear that Jesus had come and he needed to put his faith in him. And so God arranges for Peter to go to Cornelius, not simply to show everyone that uh, Jews and Gentiles could be friends and they could all hold hands and sing together, but God sends Peter to Cornelius so that Cornelius can hear the full revelation of the gospel. so that Cornelius can receive the promised Holy Spirit. Cornelius sends uh, his messengers to Peter, as God commanded him to, and Peter's there waiting because he's had his own vision, uh, and he goes off with them. And Cornelius, back at home, has got everything ready. He's gathered all his friends and his family together in his house to hear the message that Peter is going to bring. I love it. It's it's such a moving scene. It reminds me uh, of, of those stories that you hear of the moon landing, uh, you know, the very first moon landing, where not everybody had a television in their own house. Uh, and, you know, so kids at school gathered in, uh, in, in the school hall to watch uh, the, the landing on the moon. People gathered outside, you know, uh, shops where they had televisions in the window. People, people felt, found themselves in the, in the, the, uh, the houses of neighbours and, and strangers all gathered together waiting, watching for this exciting event. And that's what Cornelius has done here. He said, guys, something exciting is going to happen. Come to my house. Peter's going to come. He's going to tell us everything that, about everything that God has done in Jesus. Peter arrives and Cornelius says to him in verse 33, I sent for you immediately. He didn't wait. And it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord God has commanded you to tell us. 
And it's then that Peter explains to Cornelius about Jesus. Uh, Cornelius evidently knew about the events. Peter keeps saying, you know this, you know that. But what he didn't understand was their significance. He didn't understand what it meant, all those things that Jesus had done. And so Peter explains that. He tells Cornelius about the good news of peace through Jesus. He tells him that Jesus is Lord and King over everything. He tells him that what John the Baptist foresaw about the Holy Spirit and power coming through Jesus, that's now happened. He tells him uh, that all, all the things that Peter and the other disciples saw, all the miracles of Jesus, how Jesus died and, and rose again. He tells Cornelius that Jesus is going to return to judge the living and the dead. He tells Cornelius that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it says Cornelius is hearing all these truths of the gospel that the Holy Spirit comes. It comes on Cornelius and his friends in a really visible and kind of obvious way. These Christians uh, speak in tongues and languages that that they've never learned and they praise God. What God is showing is that what matters most of all is not where you're born, what family you were born into, what nation you were born into, what class structure you were born into. What matters is not being a Jew or a Gentile. It's not about Old Testament religious practices either. Those things have passed away. They were shadows of Jesus. What matters is hearing the good news about Jesus, what he's done, how he's died for sins, is hearing the good news about Jesus and believing in him. Believing in Jesus, turning from sin and receiving the Holy Spirit. Devotion and generosity and zeal for God, which Cornelius had in spades, at the end of the day, isn't enough. We need to know Christ. And so the most pressing question, I think, for each of us then is, have we heard the good news of Jesus? That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And the answer to that question is yes. Even if today is the very first day that you have sat in church, or the very first day after 20 years that you've actually listened to me drolling away, even if today is the first day, you've heard the gospel, haven't you? You've heard the good news that those who believe in Jesus receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on those who receive Jesus Christ. Have you heard the gospel? Yes, you've heard the gospel now. And you have a responsibility to respond to that. And so the second question then is, if you've heard, have you believed? Have you trusted Christ? Have you said to God, I'm a sinner, God. I've done plenty of stuff to dishonor you, to to reject you. But I trust that Jesus is the answer to to my past wrong. And I trust that Jesus can save me from from a life of sin to serve, to serve God. If today is the first day that you've heard about Jesus, then make today the first day that you trust in him as well. And if this is the millionth time that you've heard about Jesus, but have never responded, never believed, never put your trust in him, never given yourself to him, then make today the first day that you trust in him. The first day of a life of trusting him and loving him. But I suppose for many of us, we have done that, haven't we? We've heard the gospel. We've heard the gospel and we've not only heard the gospel, but we've believed. 
We know Christ. We love him. We're living lives following Christ. And for those of us in that, in, in that camp, I think what this passage does is to remind us of the many people throughout the world who, like Cornelius, need to hear the message of the gospel. There are many people like Cornelius who are not unwilling to hear, but there are many people throughout the world who are desperate to hear. There are many people who, given half a chance, will invite their friends and their neighbours around and invite them into the house and say, come and tell me the gospel. We, we live in a country, I think, where, where we don't see that, but, but you only need to, to, to talk to people on the mission field to know that those are the things that happened. That people say, that someone, one person becomes a Christian and they invite, their, they invite everyone that they know to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe that happens here too, and we just, we just haven't seen it. It's a great reminder that God loves all kinds of people, people from every place and every tribe and every language group and every people and every nation, from every background, people stuck in every sin. Jesus desires them to be saved. And he calls us to, like Peter, go out with the gospel and to take the full message of salvation in Jesus Christ to those who've never heard and those whose hearts are longing deep down to hear. Is the good news of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus for us? Yes. It's for us and it's for lots of other people as well. Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor, strong or weak. God made all of us and he loves us and desires that all people be saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for your great patience and love which you have shown in the history of the world that you have made. Lord, you made us and this world for your good purposes. And Lord, we have spoiled them and every day we spoil them, deliberately and unwittingly. Lord, we sin against you, we dishonour you, we disgrace you, we reject you. And yet, Lord, in your love, you have purposed from eternity past to rescue us from all that muck and sin and evil. Lord, you called your people Israel to foreshadow the gospel, to make you known among the nations. And in these last days, Lord, you have sent your own son into our world to make you known to us personally, powerfully. And you sent him not only to, to come into our world and to, to tell us about you, but you sent him to come into our world to die for our sins, to rise from the dead, to ascend into heaven and to pour out on those who call on his name the powerful Holy Spirit who unites us with you and empowers us to live for you. Lord, we pray that each one of us would receive that good news uh, in trust. Uh, and Lord, that each of us 
would receive it with joy. And Father, we ask too that you would not only empower us to know you, but that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to make you known as well. Lord, we pray for all those many people in the world who are longing to hear the gospel, who are trapped in darkness, longing for the light. Lord, we have the light. Help us to work to make you known. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.